Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Good to see you all here this morning. You are the risk takers in life. (laughs) I respect that. I like it. All right. Those of you at home, we're not saying you're not risk takers. We're just saying you're not here with us. And uh, there's probably a million different reasons why that may be. Some of you may be too far away to join us in person. And we just want you to know whether you're at home, whether you're here in person, you are a part of the whole life family where we love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we are a church without walls. And I'm really excited. Uh, in the next several months, you're going to be hearing about some fun things that we're about to start trying to do to take us to the next wall- level of being a church without walls. I'll just tease that right there. Um, but uh, you can start thinking about what, what can be talking about. Um, also, for some of you, um, you did not, were not here when Craig was making uh, the announcements earlier and letting people know what's going on. So if you received an envelope when you walked in, this is uh, a part of a continuation of what we started talking about last week. We were talking about how um, people can have disabilities and they can come at any point in your life. Um, they can surprise you. Usually they do. And so what we've done this week, just to kind of give you a sense of what it might be like um, is we've, we hand you a, an envelope, and inside of it, it has one of three different options. Uh, it will be one of three things. It, it could be uh, earplugs that could make it a little bit harder for you to hear. Uh, it could be a mask that makes it so that you can't see. Or it could be a note that says, uh, please don't stand up and get a sense of what it would be to, to not be able to stand. And so that's what's going on with those envelopes. Why didn't you get to pick your disability? Because people don't get to pick their disability. Um, it happens. And so what we're just trying to do is just take a moment to really understand what it might feel like. Um, I can tell you uh, when I ran a summer camp, uh, the first summer I was running, we, we ran a camp for the blind. And one of the things that we made our staff do is be blindfolded um, for several hours. And uh, they had to experience what it felt like to be led around to eat a meal. Um, and uh, I'm not saying any of the advantage of staff took advantage of the new director while he was blindfolded, but I my face was pretty messy by the time the meal was over. I'm just saying. So, um, so uh, we want you to have that experience today and uh, have an opportunity to see that. So the other thing that I like to do before I start a sermon is just tell you what I'm going to say so that, you know, in case you just have, a, have one of those moments where you just kind of space out for a while, you know, because I told you in 30 seconds or less what the sermon's about. So today's sermon, just so you know, where it's an introduction to the Ten Commandments. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that the Ten Commandments have been given to us because we are free not to enslave us. So the Ten Commandments actually give us freedom, not take away our freedom. I guess I could sit down now, but I'm not going to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And I pray that um, as I'm up here, that you would, you would be front and center. And I really want to ask that you would say something that no matter how intelligent or not 
any of us might be in here that no matter who we are, where we're at in our life, each one of us would walk away knowing you better and loving you more. We pray in your name. Amen. So one of my favorite things on earth to do is if any of you who are starting to get to know me, one of my favorite things to do is talk about Guam. I love Guam. I love Guam. Why uh, Why do I love Guam? I think probably the reason is because it was such a formative moment in my life. Rochelle and I moved there just about six months after we got married. Uh, we just graduated from college and we lived there for six years. It's where my daughter was born. Um, and so for me... Guam is a really important place in my life history. And the people of Guam were so good to my family, to me, Rochelle, and Kyla. And they mean a lot to me. And so I love talking about Guam. And one of the things that kind of breaks my heart is how many people are not familiar with the history of Guam. And one particular part of history on Guam that I wish that more Americans knew about was the World War II experience that the people of Guam went through. You know, in modern history, the United States has been incredibly blessed that we haven't been occupied really here on the mainland. In fact, most of American territories have, that, are, that have populations of any significance have never been occupied by a foreign power. Guam was the exception to that rule during World War II. Um, just hours, most people don't realize this, but just after hours after Pearl Harbor was bombed, in fact, three hours after Pearl Harbor was bombed, Guam was bombed. Bet you didn't know that. Bet you that wasn't in your history book. They were bombed right after Pearl Harbor. And shortly after that, the Japanese came and took the island over. They... Um, the United States knew this was going to happen ahead of time and had evacuated most of the service people from Guam. And so there were only a few American service people left on Guam. There are about 20,000 people in total on the island um, when the Japanese came and occupied it. But there were some service people left on that island. And the Chamorros were incredibly, the Chamorros are the native uh, uh, population on Guam. The Chamorros are incredibly, incredibly loyal to the United States, and they hid these service people. They hid them. In fact, one of those service people made it the entire occupation, and when the United States came back to Guam to liberate it, this man actually swam out to a battleship. And unfortunately, he did not give the credit where he should have. He kind of talked about what a genius he was. But what the truth is, the people of Guam know and I know was the only reason he survived was because a lot of Chamorros lost their lives protecting him and hiding him. The, the, Amer the Chamorros were, were incredibly poorly treated by the, by the Japanese. Uh, saying they were poorly treated does not begin to touch it. I sat through a week of hearings where people who had lived through that occupation testified to a congressional panel about what they'd been through. I could only sit through about the first three hours because I felt so nauseous by the time we'd been that far. I had to go out and catch some air and, and take time to kind of decompress, come back. I watched the panel turn green. I watched one of the panelists walk out sobbing. That's how bad it was. It's so bad that I can't even tell you some of the things in this setting. It was bad, really bad. 
And the Chamorros used to sing a song during the occupation. Oh, Uncle Sam, won't you please come back? Won't you please come back? As the Japanese realized that they were losing the war, they herded all the, uh, the as the Japanese realized they were losing, they herded all the Chamorros into a concentration camp called Meningen. And they were forced to stay inside that area. If they left to get food or try to scavenge food, um, they were executed. One of the ladies that I in- interviewed uh, had a brother that was executed right in front of her because he had gone out and found eggs for their family because they were starving to death. And they forced the family to watch it. If they turned away, then they were executed. They, um, the Japanese told the Chamorros the only thing the Americans will find when they come back to this island are flies. You begin to catch a picture of what's going on here. Well, the Americans fortunately foiled the plan to murder all the Chamorros before the Americans were able to land. They foiled that plan and the Chamorros were liberated on July 21 of 1944. Every July 21, Guam has a massive Liberation Day parade. It's the 4th of July there. I, I was there for the 60th liberation anniversary. They flew every American who had participated in the... Um, on, on coming back and liberating the island, they flew every American who was still alive and wanted to make the trip back to the island so that they could thank them in person. It's pretty incredible. Their gratitude for this liberation knew no bounds. Guam to this day has one of the highest enlistment rates in the United States. In fact, many people believe they have the highest enlistment rate. They also have the, one of the largest, if not the largest, um, veteran population. Um, the largest state that has the biggest veteran population is Alaska currently. They have 9,000 veterans per 100,000 residents. Guam has 12,000 veterans per 100,000. That gives you an idea of how much they appreciated what was done for them and how they wanted to show their appreciation. They gave the military some of the best property on the island to put bases, and they charged them pennies for it because of their gratitude. I'm going to show you a video from one of those Chamorros that survived the occupation. It was done many, many years ago is the video you're going to see. You'll figure that out. It's not great video, but I really want you to hear this man's heart as he speaks about how he feels about the United States of America. Believe me, even now, I'm patriotic to the extent of whenever I hear that uh, Star Spangled Banner playing in television or in period in radio, I have tears all over me up to this day. I don't know whether you call that patriotism, but I'm saying uh, I did my best for my country. <laughs> my willingness <laughs> will never be exhausted, dear lady, to die for my country. I'm not saying this because of what happened here. I'm only saying this. The tomorrow's feel like I do. Would die for our country anytime.
He's not wrong. That's exactly how his generation felt about the United States. Now, there's a new generation that feels a little bit different. But that generation felt very strongly about what had happened to them. They were grateful. They would do anything because of how grateful they were to the United States for liberating them. So this isn't a pro-military, rah, 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 United States sermon, in case that's where you thought I was going with that. Why do I share this story with you? Because before we start understanding about the Ten Commandments, we need to look at what God says in Exodus chapter 20, how he introduces the Ten Commandments. In the first verse of Exodus 20, that first verse says that God said this. And what did God say starting in verse 2? I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You know, so many times when we read the Ten Commandments, we skip over this, the first two verses. We skip over this verse and we lose the context of the Ten Commandments. We just get into a list of rules. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, do this, don't do that. It's a long list of do's and don'ts. But if we read this first verse, then we will understand that there is a context to what God is saying. I am the Lord, your God, your God. Very personalized language here. I'm not God up in heaven, austere and far away from you. I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. In the Bible, because of this Exodus story, Egypt comes to symbolize throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament canon, Egypt represents oppression and slavery. And God says, I am the God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Why would God set it up that way? Is it because God is trying to say to us, remember Remember, remember where you were. And if you don't want to go back to where you were, here are some rules that will keep you free. Is he also trying to say to us and them, look, I didn't bring you out of slavery to make you slaves again. I brought you out of slavery to make you free. And if you want to be free, here are 10 rules that will help you remain free. So many times when we look at the rules that God puts out there, we see, we get kind of, uh, oh, God's so restrictive. He's so, why why is he going to be this way? Why is he going to do that? But the answer is God is not trying to restrict us. He's actually trying to free us. He's trying to actually make our life better. For those of you who are a part of our uh, common rule, the book, the common rule, uh, small groups that we did, one of the things that uh, Justin, who wrote that book, suggests in the book is that rules are actually there to give you structure and freedom, not to restrict you, but actually to make your life better. That's why Jesus reiterates what's said in the Ten Commandments that in verse 2 of Exodus 20 when he says, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. Sometimes we're like, well, I guess I have to do it. What Jesus is trying to say is, I love you. And if you believe that I love you and I care about what's best for you, then do the things that I have asked you to do. It's also important for us to remember it was Jesus who gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. It was Jesus who did that. So it is important, 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 important as we approach the Ten Commandments to not see them as a checklist of do's and don'ts, a list of things that restrict our freedom, but to rather approach them from the value that we care about here at Whole Life so much, the value of love. When we approach the Ten Commandments from the value of love, we suddenly see something different than when we approach it from the value of earning salvation. What does, uh, the next thing that I need to ask you is how many sinners do I have here today? Anybody want to raise their hand and say I'm a sinner? That's pretty good. Some of you are, some of you aren't. Let's see what Timothy uh, is told by Paul. This is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Can you imagine how Christianity would be turned on its head if we actually all really did believe that? that I was the worst of sinners? It means that if I believe I'm the worst of sinners, I'm not gonna be picking too hard on you. But family, can we just be honest for a minute? We live in a world that doesn't like to talk about sin. We don't wanna say that that there's sin out there and that we might be doing it. Because we see legalism in it. Because oftentimes that's what it's been. It has been legalism. But the problem is, is that if you don't have a sin problem, you don't need a savior. If you're not a slave, you don't need freedom. And so the problem is that when we don't talk about sin, we completely get rid of the need of a savior. This does not mean that we wallow in in this. Oh, I'm so awful. Oh, no. It's rather that we say, I have a problem that I cannot deal with myself. I need someone else to help me. Jesus kind of illustrates this idea when he tells a story to another person who kind of thought that they were good enough. The guy's name was Simon. And Simon thought he was pretty good. And so when a uh, prostitute shows up and starts washing Jesus' feet, Simon is not impressed. And so Jesus tells Simon a little parable. He says, Simon, I want to ask you something. There were two debtors. One owed $50. The other owed $5 million. The creditor canceled the debt for both of them. Who was more grateful? 
Well, all of us can answer that question. We'd answer it the exact same way that Simon did. We'd say, well, the person who was forgiven $5 million would be more grateful because they're forgiven $5 million. Most of us can come up with 50 bucks if we need to, to pay off a debt. Now, not all of us. I've been in a place where I couldn't come up with 50 bucks. But the truth is, it's a lot easier to find somebody to loan me 50 bucks to pay off a debt than it is to find somebody to loan me 5 million. Craig, you want to loan me 5 million? You might loan me 50 though, right? Maybe. Okay, just saying. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But you follow me, right? And that's what Jesus said to this guy. And, and the point he was trying to make to Simon was the same point that Paul was making to Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying that you should believe. I am the worst of sinners. And what he was saying to Simon, Simon, you don't think you're that bad. You think you're way better than this woman. The truth is you are just as bad in God's sight as that woman is. Now, some of us have a hard time swallowing that, right? I'm, that can't be right. I mean, if I'm going to church and I'm paying tithe and I'm helping out my community, then I gotta be better than that guy that murdered somebody. But this is a trustworthy saying that I am the worst of sinners and Christ Jesus came and died for me. When we start actually believing that and living that in our life, it means that we will have other parts of the values at whole life. We will have grace because if I'm a sinner, if I'm the worst of sinners, then whatever you're doing, I gotta have grace for. I've gotta have forgiveness. I've gotta have acceptance. I wanna challenge each one of you to think a little bit deeply, to think a little bit deeply and hear what Jesus said to Simon. I tell you, this woman, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love, but a person who's forgiven shows only a little love. If you don't believe that Jesus has forgiven you very much, then you don't love him very much because you're not that grateful. You didn't really need him in the first place. And if you don't love him, then all of a sudden these 10 commandments and the things that we see God asking from us, they become burdens. We don't see them coming to us to free us. We see them as just another burden. I'm pretty good already. I don't really need this. Is this even necessary? Is it even needed? Family, how much do you need Jesus? Do you need him a little or do you need him a lot? I'm not ashamed to tell you as, my, as your pastor, I need him a lot. I am the worst of sinners. I sometimes, like I've, I've said this a couple times, I'll say a couple times, I sometimes think that the reason pastors become pastors is God has to work on us the hardest. And what I need in my life more than anything else is God's transforming power. I need him to change me. I don't need you to change me. I need him to change me. I need him to do what he wants to do in my life. Why at this church, we're not gonna pick on certain people with certain sins that we think are sins. What we're going to do is each one look at our own lives and say, God, how are you going to change me? And we're going to encourage each other in that walk. We're going to look at God's word and say, what does God say hurts us? and hurts others? And how can we allow God to transform us so we stop doing that? Truly, when you love God, you will realize 
that the things that he's asked you to do actually like make your life easier. They make your life better. And over the next 10 weeks, what I hope you'll realize as we look at each one of these 10 commandments is how much better your life will be, how much more freedom you will have if you will believe what God has to say and do things the way that he's asked you to, how much more freedom you'll have. And then like the Chamorros that I showed you, it will be no problem at all to serve God because you are so grateful for what he's done for you. For my yoke is easy to bear, says Jesus, and the burden I give you is light. Thank you guys so much. And uh, now is the time to respond to that sermon. Um, you can join me on uh, by putting a comment into the chat on either wholelife.church slash live or on Facebook. Just look for the video. And um, I have to say that I'm really glad I'm here. That was a sermon I really probably needed to hear today, especially that verse of 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16 of I'm one of the worst. Um, it's definitely my temptation to say I'm, I'm doing you know, pretty good, right? I mean, I'm doing pretty yeah. good, or maybe I'm not Stanley the worst. I'm yeah. pretty great. I'm not, maybe not the worst, but to like say, yep, I am sin I'm, is sin. I'm kind of a middle tier, right? Yeah, middle, middle tier, tier center, like, right? not perfect, not, but you know, middle tier, but not the worst. Right. But no, but to remind ourselves that we really need that salvation. Um, and one of your statements too of, if you don't think you've uh, that you're forgiven much, that you may not love God very much, was also really hit me as well. Um, I just think too about probably why I love my wife is because she still puts up with me, um, and that uh, right there, we now know you me. are the worst of sinners. The so worst of sinners. So really <laughs> so yeah, exactly. All right, we do have one question coming in here from Zoe here. So it's um, how do we feel forgiven more in order to uh, in order to love Jesus more? How do we feel? How can we feel forgiven more in order to love Jesus more? You know, that, what a great question. How do we, how can we feel forgiven? I think that's, I think that's the, there's the two, I think she's just, I think this is a really good question because I think it points out something that, that I'd love to delve into a little bit more maybe during the podcast, but we, we often have these two different things. Either we think we're not a sinner we don't have that many sins, or we think our sin is so great that God can't forgive it. And so mm. we don't feel mm. forgiven. And the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins. Period, end stop. Mm. The question is whether you let him know that you know you're a sinner and request that he cover your sins with what he has already done. Mm. And so, and then whether you, in faith, believe that he's done that, so how do you do that? Um, I suggest you spend time reading all the texts in the Bible that talk about how much God longs for you, mm. how it's his pleasure to forgive you, how it wasn't him being like, well, I guess I've got to forgive Ken, so I <laughs> didn't want to. God, It was God's pleasure to do this for us. That's how much he loves us, is that it's his pleasure to give us forgiveness. So spend some time reflecting on that. And the other thing you can do is you can look at the Bible, and what I love about the Bible is how it, it displays human beings and all of our patheticness, whether it's David or Peter or whoever. 
the Bible doesn't shy away from showing people like they really are. And one of the things I remind myself is that if, if God loved those people, then he loves me too. If God forgives those people, then he forgives me too. And really the difference between, I mean, take a look at like David and Saul. The difference between those two is that David was always willing to admit that he had messed up and ask God for forgiveness. While Saul was like, I didn't do anything that bad. Come on, come on, leave me alone. I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm anointed. I'm the king. Yeah. yeah, I'm the king. I mean, my heart was in the right place. Whereas mm-hmm. David's like, yep, you're right. I, I really messed up. And so if you want to have a heart for God, one of the things is just admitting, yeah, I am a sinner. I am making mistakes. I am doing things. I want to be different. I want God to transform me. I give him permission to do that. But I also recognize I'm still going to make mistakes. And God's grace is sufficient for all of that. Amen. Awesome. We have uh, one more question. Uh, this time for this last question here. Uh, it comes from Greg, and he asks, how do Ten Commandments relate to Jesus' word in the New Testament about a greater command he's given us? How do the Ten Commandments relate to Jesus' word about the great, a greater commandment, love one another? Yeah, I'm so, yeah. I think First. it's... That's yeah. the that's the commandment, right? Love that he's yeah. referring to. The new commandment I give you that you love each other as I have loved you. What what I think that we miss out when we sometimes we sometimes get rid of the Ten Commandments when we when we read that rather than seeing what Jesus was really doing, which he was actually elevating all of those commandments. He didn't actually make he didn't make those commandments go away. He actually said he said, So I'm telling you that if you look at somebody with lust, you're committing adultery, not if you actually commit adultery. And if you hate somebody, you're actually murdering. So Jesus actually takes that standard and when he says, the new commandment, give me a love as I have loved you. He takes and says, this is the real standard of love way up here. In case you thought you were able to meet it, um, you can't, you, you need me. And so the, the great thing about what Jesus said is that he would, um, he says that, that he has not come to abolish the law, but to establish it. Mm-hmm. That not a single dot of the I or cross of a T would go away until each one of those had fulfilled its purpose. And I think we can all agree that we still need people not to murder other people. Mm-hmm. We still need people not to take what is not theirs. We need still need people not to commit adultery. We still need to keep the Sabbath. All these things have relevance in the world that we live in and make our lives better when we follow them. And that is love at work. That is love at work. All right. Awesome. There's one more question. Um, this one, oh, let me just tease it at least. Um, some, this comes from Michael and he says, some Christians say we should not call ourselves sinners because God has made us new creations. Do you think there is a time when we should not call ourselves sinners? So um, that might be a deep one to think about. Um, Ken looks yeah, like he I, wants to answer it. Um, from, yeah, I do. Because <laughs> um, again, it's, about, it's not about wallowing in sin, but the New Testament record and the Old Testament record are pretty plain. I, I read you a text where Paul said, This is a trustworthy saying that we should all accept. I am the worst of sinners, but God has forgiven me. So we shouldn't live as sinners, but we should understand that we are. Good answer. All right. Um, 
there's another comment, but we will save it for later. Uh, please check out the podcast uh, called This Is Whole Life, available everywhere that podcasts are heard. That's where we answer unanswered questions or address comments. Thank you so much. And thank you out there for your comments. Thank you, Shailen. Love at work, family. That's what the law is. It's love, doing what love does. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next uh, 10 weeks or so here. I hope you'll enjoy it. And more importantly, I hope your life will continue the transformation that God has is, is already begun in your life. I just want to say this right now. If you haven't accepted Jesus, in other words, if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do it. I want to invite you to recognize that if you haven't accepted Jesus, you are a slave. And that you need Jesus to bring you out of Egypt and bring you to a place where order can be brought out of the chaos that is in your life. When I talk to people about accepting Christ, I talk to them about this. Christ has given me peace and hope in a life that didn't have that before I really understood what God had to offer. So if you don't understand that, I invite you to talk to any of our pastoral staff. You can email me, ken at wholelife.church. Easy to remember, ken at wholelife.church if you need to accept Jesus. And if you need to be reminded that you need to accept Jesus again today because you've accepted in the past, I invite you to do that too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people here today who need to accept you. They need to accept the grace that you've extended to them. And I pray that they would. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us some rules to protect us and to keep us safe in a dangerous world. We pray in your name. I love you, family. Have a great Sabbath. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.